Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Rogue Opinions and our retro trip through the SmackDown days uh, as we are getting settled into our room here at the SmackDown Hotel. My name is Jimmy Baxter, and as always, I am joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, welcome. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, as Carl mentioned in the Total Divas punishment podcast, I've been talked off the ledge after the sitcom showdown, and I'm, I'm, I'm relatively calm now. I'm relaxing here in a room at the SmackDown Hotel. Well, yeah, I figured it was uh, you were going to need some R&R, so I figured we should rush right over to the SmackDown Hotel and talk about the craziness that is September of 1999. Um, you are feeling a little bit better after losing Frazier in the first round. Did Paul give you a bunch of shit? Oh, fuck, I forgot to mention it to him. Oh, well, then I guess I guess you bought yourself a little bit of time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so as I said, this is uh, the September 30th, uh, 1999 episode of SmackDown, episode six. If you're following along with us on the network, and if you are, let us know. Uh, hashtag Rogue Retro, uh, Rogue Retro SmackDown. If you're watching along with us, we're coming to you from the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but first, uh, let's find out what happened on Raw. Scott, fill us in. Well, we had yet another busy edition of Monday Night Raw this week where they casually just wrapped up this whole referee storyline that took up a big chunk of like Unforgiven with all the, the scab referees where it basically came up with footage earlier today where Vince was meeting with all the referees said he'd met all their demands and he's apparently given them more authority when it comes to imagining that they shouldn't take any shit from anybody. And he's going around shaking hands, and you see Jimmy Cordero in his arm in a sling from when he got beaten up by the rest of the referees for jumping the picket line. <laughs> it's just a funny moment where Vince leans into Shaky's hand, and you see uh, Earl Hebner standing beside Cordero, and he just looks in the camera and just overlooks like, "Yeah, we did that." That's great. I saw because you you see that he's uh still his hands is still wrapped up um in like an ace bandage. Uh, during this episode of SmackDown, and I'm just like, oh my god, dude, they they fucking just brutalized this poor guy for trying to for trying to just do his goddamn job. I get that they were on strike, but it's hot. It, they, I mean, they were, where were they again? For uh, they they were in uh, North Carolina for they were in North Carolina. Okay, it's it gets pretty warm in August, in September, and and stuff in North Carolina, and you can't really blame the guy, can you? No, but. Like one of the things that frustrates me about this episode, Ron, we'll get into it a bit more with SmackDown, is when they say the referees have more authority, which that basically means referees will call for DQs a lot more often because we get a lot of that on Raw and we get it here on SmackDown. Yeah, I, I mean, so much happens on this episode of SmackDown. Like, I mean, we were talking about this off air, but uh, the network version of it, of course, without commercials and whatnot, is only like an hour and five minutes. Which like leads me to believe that like with you know commercials and whatnot, it was probably only a ninety-minute episode on uh, on UPN at the time, which is crazy that you know they're six episodes in, and obviously they have this UK tour that's happening at the same time because next week we'll be reviewing the UK only pay-per-view WWF Rebellion. Um, that should be a hell of a lot of fun. But um, yeah, so they probably had a like a skeleton crew and. 
we get significantly less matches here and you know a little bit of storyline progression definitely some stuff to build up to rebellion um but yeah i mean i'm intrigued thus far yeah and then we had we had the opening segment of the show where we had triple h uh, saying that unforgiven uh, he proved that he's the game uh, Honestly, like, I thought the whole when people take the piss out of how Triple H talks, like, I thought they're exaggerating. Listen to his promo. Every, every, he ends every sentence with an uh sound, like. Like he's James Hetfield from Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Basically, <laughs> he's out to brag about winning at Unforgiven in the six-pack challenge and bragging that Austin had to raise his hand, forget the fact that he stunned him at the end, but. And then the British Bulldog comes in and goes, Hey, up, lad. Now, we had a deal that you, little winner of that challenge, whether it was you or I, would give the other a title match. And I want my title shot. <laughs> the Bulldog, I must say, he came out to the ring, and I don't know where he's taken, but he is the sweatiest man alive. Like, he clearly was a source of inspiration for Shane McMahon in later years, because he just comes down to the ring in regular street clothes, and he's already sweating, like he's just wrestled a 20-minute match. He comes out uh, on SmackDown and he is like just walking out of the curtain. He's like blown up and is just miserable looking. Mm-hmm. Like, so clearly, like, for you seen on Unforgiven when Bill Dog played a part in helping Triple H win the match, hitting the rock with the chair, and now he wants Triple H to look to his end. And Triple H calmly and coolly explains to Bill Dog that he, quote, lied to his ass. So Triple H just refuses to give Bill Dog his title shot. And then uh, Vince McMahon comes out and explains that Triple H will be defending the title in the main event of Raw, but it will be against The Rock after The Rock. he feels The Rock was screwed out of his title shot by the Bulldog, and that gets set up for later on in the night. But then we have Austin come out later on feeling a bit pissed off because he, like, he was under the assumption he was getting the next title shot when for reinstating Vince, and Vince calmly explains to him, like, you'll get your title shot. I didn't say when, and they make the match official for No Mercy. So, yeah, yeah so we've got that, the main event of No Mercy for with Austin versus Triple H. Well, presumably Triple H. I mean, he, got, he gets put through the ringer yet again, which, like, I mean, based on how much, like, we've been conditioned to see whomever is getting screwed over by Vince as, like, the sort of babyface. Like, I'm still sort of struggling. Granted, I know where everything is supposed to land, and obviously Triple H isn't always portrayed exactly as, like, a babyface, but there are some babyface sort of, like, like feelings that come out of watching the way Triple H has to, like, struggle to even, like, hold the title for one night. Yeah. Like, he's really a fighting champion when you look at it. He had to defend the title on Raw. He's got a match on this show... Like, if he gets to that, he's got Rebellion and then No Mercy. Like, you're really starting to feel bad for Triple H when we really shouldn't be. Yeah, for real. For real. Uh, I, must, I made note of a really cool sign in the crowd. There was an I'm with Candy Ass sign. And an arrow <laughs> pointing sideways. Uh, we had a really random vignette of Stephanie and Tess going wedding shopping, which they felt was in, needing, was needed inclusion when it lasted less than two minutes. Uh, we had a GTV segment where they basically imply that uh, Terry had split with two members of Mean Street Posse, but before, I think it was Pete Gas could get his turn, uh, Mean Street Posse basically kicked Terry to the curb for, because they basically got what they wanted out of her. I mean, like, and then Terry starts the, the tit on, on SmackDown this week, <laughs> and we'll get into exactly what that means, but, like, 
she like outsexed meat for weeks on on heat. So are we led to believe that now one man is not good enough to satisfy uh, Terry that she now has to take on multiple partners at the same time to even feel like alive because she is just running through some of these people with like reckless abandon. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the Rock gets his title match later in the main event. It's a busy night for the Rock because we had Mankind throughout the night walking around with balloons and you hear him saying like how bad he feels for the Rock. Uh, he feels bad for hitting the Rock with a DAT at Unforgiven. I think, what was I thinking? And he was, he's talking to somebody under this, this sheet, but we don't get to see who it is yet. And uh, at one point, uh, where I've got so many notes here, Steve Richards comes up to Mick Foley dressed as, as Dude Love and asks him if he can borrow his gimmick. And he's like, no, you can't be Mankind. That's gimmick infringement. He goes, oh, no, not that character. And then he goes, well, you can't be Cactus Jack. That's, a, that's near to my heart. And he goes, no, I want to be Dude Love. And Mick Foley just laughs. I'm like, why do you want to be Dude Love? He went, because he's a chick magnet. He goes, all right, go nuts. And <laughs> then and then he just whispers to whoever's behind the sheet, like, the, the chicks hated Dude Love. That was part of the gimmick. <laughs> They're getting really into like, uh, like specific like wrestling lingo lately. Yeah. Like you, you hear the word Mark a couple of times, and you know the gimmick and character and all that other shit. It's very interesting to see like the line that they skirted in late '99. Yeah, this is definitely some of the last vestiges of of Red's Russo because we know like history is told us that uh, during Rebellion, like while everybody was over there. Russo stayed behind to secretly sign his contract for for WCW. So he's he's only way at the door, but his fingerprints are still all over the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the actual date uh, for Russo going away is like October fifth. Is mm-hmm. like the night uh, that him and um, Ed Ferrara leave under the cover of darkness overnight. <laughs> um, I think that's also the night that um, Draws gets injured. So I mean, there's. A lot of interesting things that happen to occur in the next sort of week, week and a half that are going to be very interesting to look into. And then we get was deemed one of the most iconic moments in Raw history when Mankind calls the Rock out to the ring. The Rock wants nothing to do with whatever Mankind has planned because he wants to be preparing for his, for his title match later on. And Mankind tells the Rock that this is your life because we have the infamous this is your life segment. And good lord, I thought this thing would never end. It really? Goes, it goes on for so long. Like, <laughs> I've heard stories that the reason like Vince at first before he seen the ratings was wasn't happy with it is because I think they got allocated like twelve or so minutes and they end up going like twenty because oh, it, and it was on live TV, so like every minute is everybody's fighting for TV time and they went rare far over like yet. I'm bringing out members, people from the Rock's past, and the Rock would give them catchphrases and then send them on their way. Like, he's home economics teacher, even though the graphic comes up, English teacher, and gives her a different name. He asked her if she still likes to bake rolls, and when she said yes, they said, well, you should know your role and shut your mouth. And something, I, I really had to make a note of this, they bring out the Rock's coach, and he comes out to, I'll be your hero. Like, Lex Luger's holds like Lex Express theme and yet when I watched SummerSlam 93 a few weeks back they didn't have, they, they show the vid- music video for that song at the end of the show and they, they're too cheap to have it over that 
and they just insert some cheesy, crappy pop song over it instead of the actual song, yet they felt they need to keep, keep it in on this episode of Raw. I mean, I, the, I, I still don't get like the whole editing that they do on the network. I, know, I, I felt robbed. I, I sat through the entirety of SummerSlam 93 just to hear that song, and I was and I was robbed. You do know that there's like a chapter skip still available on the network. Yeah, no, but I was doing it for purposes of a review on another show. I had to, I just sat through <laughs> Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez two, and <laughs> and. I have a lot of issues with the network. <laughs> that uh, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's not been working very well uh, for me lately either. But um, it um, it, it's funny that that was like the one shining light at the end of the tunnel for SummerSlam '93 for you, and then they still managed to take that away from you. Very WWE, even to the last drop. And then we get the sheet covered, and it's a clown. I can't, I've I forgot to make a note of the clown's name, and then the Rock. Casual and the mankind leads the crowd in a chat of happy birthday when the rock casually mentions to mankind that his birthday is May 2nd and then mankind recovers that saying every day he spends as the rock's tag partner feels like his somebody's birthday <laughs> and then we have Triple H coming out and trying to disrupt the party and try and hit someone with a sledgehammer and then his foot almost gets tangled up in all of the balloons and, and then we had GTV segment we saw the gift that Mankind gave the Rock, the Mr. Rocco sock, that Val Venus stole it and stuffed it down his pants. Yeah, yeah, that and that comes back to haunt him. Yeah, that does. We'll get to that. I made a note of this, but I made it, it's, rather than a statement, I made sure to add, add a question mark at the end. It's Blackman gets European title match. I made sure to put a question mark in it because, like, he lost the night before Unforgiven. And a match that just silenced like one of the hottest crowds and one of the hottest periods like in re- in wrestling and he still managed to silence them and is rewarded the next night with a European title match against D'Lo Brown. One of the things that they never really talk about um, in 1999 when people talk about it is like just how much everything seems to make sense. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, sitting at commentary desk, a wild draw appears. And he just, he sits there, he's, he's talking about the bookers won't give him TV time, so he's just coming out and trying to make a name for himself. And I just felt uncomfortable, the idea of draws hanging around D'Lo in any context, because of what happens. And Blackman proves just how stupid he is, because he hits D'Lo with a candlestick to basically deprive himself of an opportunity to win a title. And then on his way out, he hits Jim Dodson, the head of security, uh, for payback from the night before, and then draws pukes on Dale Brown because he can do that. And then Mark Henry comes in to try and help Dale, and Dale just shoves him off. I mean, what do you even say? Oh, speaking of of a wild thing appearing, the thing it was like a David Attenborough documentary around the contest on the wild things that appeared because we had a a wild Prince Albert come out during Chris Jericho versus uh, the Big Show because I'll. Because Prince Albert, in his words, wants to be the real skyscraper in the WWF. So now he has, suddenly has an issue with the Big Show, even though the Big Show is much larger than him. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a large man. And JR was an unfortunate choice towards throwing the Big Show, and he says that Jericho is, in, is getting prepared for a 500-pound piece of action. Like, okay. 
Yeah, wow. Where, <laughs> where, you, where were you going to in your, your spare time, JR? But Jericho, yeah, he's doing personal microphone with a Royce Jericho logo on it. And he calls Big Show the biggest waste of sperm in the WWF. And then the match is surprise, surprise, a DQ when Albert comes off the top for the drop kick onto Big Show when Big Show was lifting Jericho for a, for a choke slam. But the referee sees Albert and disqualifies him before he's even made before he's even leapt off the top rope, before he's even done anything, like, he could have just wanted a better view of the match. He doesn't know. Like, in referees, they get, they get, they go on strike and they think they can do whatever they want. They, they don't take any shit. Like, even on SmackDown, they, they are just throwing people out before they've even had a chance to do anything. Like, just on the implication that they're there. Yeah. They are not taking any shit. The implication is strong in the WAF at this point. It is. It is. Uh, we we don't we had Kane and Xbox in action on this episode of SmackDown, so you you told that there's some explanation on Raw as to why it happened. There isn't. The Outlaws came out to offer an open challenge. They're over as hell. That's it's hard to really explain how. And they come out. They offer an open challenge. The Hollies are backstage. They they sit, look like they're going to answer the challenge, but they waste time by going to get their scales which allows Kane and Xbox to basically overtake them. And then the Hollies don't like that, which leads to, surprise, surprise, another DQ because the Hollies get involved. They are just they are just sort of, hey, we got this show in the UK coming up, but we got two more shows on TV to do, so let's just put something out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Kane and Xbox were away, put aside whatever issues they had. They were on a break. They're back together now. Like, I'm glad those two kids could work things out. It is nice to see that love does rule all. Mm-hmm. We had a handicap evening gown match with Fabulous Miller and Mae Young taking on Ivory. And Daryl Oller was not shy about seeing the fact that he did not want to see Miller and Mae without their evening gowns. He's, my favourite line of his saying that Mae Young's birthday suit needs an iron. <laughs> oh. oh, God. At one point, Mae Young forgets the rules and tries to pin Ivory. But what's worse is the referee doesn't tell her, try and correct her the rules. The referee just counts. And Ivory is forced to kick out, even though those, those aren't the rules. And the announcers are pointing out, no, that's not the rules. Uh, Mae Young does get stripped of her evening gown, uh, much, to, much to the King's chagrin, who even fakes vomiting noises. And But Fabulous Miller does strip Ivory. So Fabulous Miller wins. Well, technically Mae and Miller win, but I don't think anybody was a, really a winner. No, yeah, no one's a winner in that scenario. And uh, we had the mixed tag match to end all mixed tag matches, where we had Tom Pritchard teaming with Jeff Jarrett to take on Deborah and China. Now, okay, no, just go on, go on. <laughs> so okay. many questions. Well, we had Tom Pritchard talking to Jeff Jarrett backstage. And I think it was just because it was uh, Tom Pritchard that came out and showed the replay and basically helped Jeff Jarrett retain the Intercontinental Championship at Unforgiven. So then Jarrett came out and basically challenged Deborah and China to a battle of the sexes and basically it's just this whole thing will put women, you women in their your place. And uh, China said she would accept only if if she managed to get the pin on Jeff Jarrett, she would get another match at No Mercy for the Intercontinental title. And Jeff Jarrett accepts because he doesn't think that China can win. And then China pins Jarrett because Tom Pritchard hits Chain in the back of the head with a guitar, but then she falls on top of Jarrett, and she makes the pin. 
and that's our general our next title shot. Wow, scintillating television. Yes, and that and oh yeah, like I was gonna say it so concludes Rob. And I remember, no, we had we had one more match. We had the Rock v Triple H. How could I forget that? Mm. Well, the Rock has been so busy on this show already. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It wasn't either man's finest hour because it was a decent enough match. The referee gets knocked down. Austin comes in. He's on commentary. He's decent on commentary. Comes in. He stunners Triple H. The Rock hits Triple H with a rock bottom. The referee's so slow to get back up that Triple H eventually kicks out, and then the Bulldog comes down, beats up both guys, and. I think there may have been a timing issue, or maybe it's because the uh, this is their life went on for so long that while Bulldog's still beating them up, and like one of the commentators mid sentence, Fraud just goes off air. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I think that was one of the issues about like the whole "this is your life" thing that it was taking up TV time when they had a when they had a title match in the main event. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you go eight minutes over, you're gonna lose something, and sometimes you can't even ever recover. So it's sad that we had Steve Lattman on before that segment where we could have just lost him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate, but I mean, all of us, they, all of these big companies end up making mistakes, and that letting a segment go eight minutes over, that's gonna do it. Mm-hmm. That does. That's all. Everything that happened on Raw, like I said, like there's a lot. Then go like you had those options to skip to skip ahead to segments like, like. The amount of different segments you had to count each segment, one well, because like every now and then it's always then cut to a backstage and then this person's on commentary and then this thing's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that happens on this one too. Like I said, this was um on the network. It's only an hour and five minutes long. But then when you go to the chapters, there's like like ten or so chapters, and it's like I don't even want to know how. <laughs> you know, they, they end up fitting all this in, but we're going to run through it. And now you're going to know how they fit all this in because SmackDown, like I said, is live from the Richmond Coliseum, September 30th, 1999. And the show opens with the road dog with Mr. Ass versus Chris Jericho with Curtis Hughes, the crowd in uh, Virginia love the new age outlaws. Absolutely love them to the point that when they get the, the suck it part of their intro and the world tag team champions, the whole, during the whole spiel, you can see Road Dog is like, holy shit, this is like thunderous in here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jericho starts coming out, uh, but then Road Dog meets him in the aisle, starts beating him down. Uh, Crash and Hardcore Holly are suddenly on commentary somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Hardcore Holly says that they were screwed out of their title shot. Um, match ends on a DQ because uh, the DQs are rampant here, ladies and gentlemen. Get get Settle in. Um, Mr. Ass slides in a table. Um, Road Dog goes to slam Jericho through the table, but the Hollies grab Road Dog and slam him through the table. They beat down Mr. Ass and the Holly, the Hollies and Jericho and Curtis Hughes. They all leave. Um, this was this this segment is a lot. Uh, what did you make of the uh, the opening match here on SmackDown? Well, my two main notes for this were go away, Curtis Hughes, because every time Jericho comes out, I hope that. Curtis Hughes won't follow him, and then inevitably out he comes in those in his sunglasses and his his sparkly shirt that really doesn't sit him. And the surly disposition. Yeah. Like, and then my like, main note was the fact that Road Dog was really a dick to 
uh, the referee in this match, despite being the face who's clearly over as hell. He just like he's so desperate to get there. He just he doesn't just shove the referee. He just basically grabs him, tosses him halfway across the ring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you would think that like they'd get someone that's like more physically imposing to start being a referee or something, or these guys would get on the vitamins. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously like you said that leads to yet another DQ because fuck it, we're off to the UK. Let's just get through this. Yeah, we're six episodes in. They've they know what we're capable of at this point, but we got uh, we got some other things to worry about in a few days. So let's just see what we can do here. Um, and what they can do here is uh, Lillian Garcia ends up with Mr. McMahon on a pre-tape backstage segment. Uh, he says that uh, Bulldog is determined to screw the Rock out of the WWF title. Uh, he then makes the title match to a huge pop in the arena, and it will be Bulldog versus Triple H for the WWF title. China is banned from ringside. Triple H has been fined $25,000 for attacking a ref. Um, and The Rock is the new special guest referee to ensure that it will be called Down the Middle. Um, which I'm sure The Rock will have no, like, no complications when it comes to refereeing this title match between Triple H and the Bulldog, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, Rock's not one to hold a grudge. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, come on. He's the, he's the Rock. He's the people's champion. Mm-hmm. Um, Mankind promo. Uh, he comes out uh, in the rock and sock jacket from last night's infamous This Is Your This Is Your Life rock segment. Uh, says that he was damn proud to be a part of the greatest moment in sports entertainment. Uh, calls out Val Venus, who comes right out. Um, I have a note here that I, I need to just ask you the way that it came into my head. Um, Val Venus owns pants? <laughs> I wasn't aware. I just wasn't aware. Um, <laughs> Mankind says that... Uh, he wants and needs the thing in Val's pants. Um, Val insists that he doesn't swing that way. Um, now, do you have some more of the verbiage written down for this? Hey, I mean, no, like, you know exactly when he describes the sock, but he's that words where it's about this big, to which Michael Cole asks, how does he know uh, <laughs> it's white and it's got a beautiful head on it? I mean... <laughs> I knew, like, what he was, like, I knew what they were doing here, but, like, I couldn't help but chuckle like a school child <laughs> yeah. dur- during this whole segment, because I'm just like, come on, man. And on commentary, they're, like, losing their minds, like, oh, oh, he's, he's talking about his dick, oh, my God, oh, my God, no way, I didn't know he swung that way, and stuff like, and um, Michael Cole says something, he's like, Mick, Mick, this is network TV, and it's like, <laughs> like, come on, dude, like, what do you really think he's talking about, you know? Um... Mankind shows a GTV clip uh, that we saw on Raw the night before uh, of Val stuffing his pants with Mr. Rocco. Um, Val says it was a joke, a joke for the boys in the back. Now, let me ask you this question. Man to man. You ever just gone in the other room, grabbed something, shoved it in your pants and just was like, hey, guys, check it out. (laughs) No, I can't say that I have. Right. I mean, okay, good. I'm not alone on that. I'm not rolling up socks and putting them in my pants and going to my other guy friends and just being like, what up? You know, sup, sup. Um, uh, so what I love is, what I love is that the fact that the crowd chant, you got caught as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in 19, in 1999, it was, you got caught, you got caught in 2019. It'll be, you fucked up, you fucked up, <laughs> you fucked up. Um, 
uh, Val, Val says it was a joke and mankind obviously does not appreciate the joke of shoving his gift to his best friend, the rock into his pants for a joke, uh, says that he doesn't appreciate it. And mankind lunges at Val starts to like, you know, rip at like, go to rip at his pants or whatever. Val says it's all good. And then he's going to bring it to him. He's going to bring it down to him. Um, mankind says he better, or he'll go get Mr. Sacco and shove that down his throat. So, um, Let's let's dissect this a little bit. What are your thoughts here on this promo from Mankind? Well, I, I was gonna say like usually that's kind of thing I was all like, oh, this is just typical like like relying on like dick jokes and shit like that. I, I like to think I'm above this, but then I was I was laughing my head off during this whole segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where Mick, where is this during your actual stand up routines? Just call somebody out in the crowd, and he's just like, hey, hey, hey you. <laughs> see a dick <laughs> oh. i'd pay good money for that for that show actually to be honest with you <laughs> yeah and like just it was just the way that the commentators and like the way val sold it. i think it was, the, it was because of who was in it that made the segment work the way it did yeah oh absolutely i mean uh val was very like val was able to roll with it a little bit um in the 1990s way of rolling with the you know sexual innuendos and of a man coming on to another man as it appeared and whatnot and Mick was just unbelievable with the way that he was like his description for the sock and everything it was I mean this 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 might be segment of SmackDown for me so far yeah definitely like it's probably one of my favorite moments this whole episode like if they didn't if what happened in the main event didn't happen and I'm sure we'll get to it this probably would have been my favorite segment of the whole show. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, next up, uh, Triple H confronts Vince and Shane, uh, accusing them, accuses them of uh, screwing him over, trying to screw him out of the title and uh, making him fight, making him fight, making him fight, blah, 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 blah. I was uh, full disclosure. I was sort of nodding in and out. So some of my notes aren't as good as they usually are. Uh, did I miss anything from this or the following segment? Because all I have is Lillian is with The Rock for the next segment. No, not really. Like Shane kind of like tries to like Santi Triple H and say like well if you're the really the game as you say you are then it shouldn't be an issue I'll be honest whenever Vince appeared on screen I was just distracted because I was just staring at his hair and I'm like you're that's you're clearly dying that because like, like I'm not I'm not an expert on like how certain people's hair goes gray at seven times but given how old Vince is at the stage I'm thinking like that is way too dark that you're not dying that yeah for sure that, that, that was where my eyes just started wandering and then the rock well the Rock basically do whatever he wants and people will cheer. Like, basically he doesn't appreciate just being tossed into the, the guest referee for Bulldog after what Bulldog did on Raw. Right, right. Um, but, you know, but he doesn't hold a grudge, you know, remember that. Next up is the beginning of the illustrious, the long-running, the well-established Terry Runnels Invitational Tournament, or the tit, for those <laughs> who... Uh, are so inclined to call it that way. Um, Edge and Christian versus the new brood, Matt and Jeff Hardy with Gangrel. Uh, Terry Runnels comes to ringside. Uh, the ref throws out Gangrel from, like, just, I don't know, making an entrance. Uh, the <laughs> referees are not taking any shit. King is uh, pretty much unbearable about Terry joining them on commentary. Um, he's, like, apoplectic. Does not know how to form sentences or words or... Just he knows how to giggle and make noises with his like mouth. 
That's all he's able to do because I mean, granted, Terry comes out looking fantastic here. Let's let's be real. Um, but he can't contain himself. I think at this point, Terry should have known to try and sit next to Cole because at least Cole is like an asexual imp and <laughs> like won't like be rude to her as uh, the king is. But, you know, it's 1999. <laughs> um, she explains that the series is a best of five and the winners of that best of five will earn not only one hundred thousand dollars but they will also earn her managerial services which we thanks to gtv now know that it means group sex so fun <laughs> um yeah uh this i mean this this match is going to be great i mean you know edge and christian versus the hardys is always going to be good um edge and christian get the win here making it one zero in the tit um and with a superplex electric chair drop combination which you know it's very good both these teams are young, they're fresh, they're trying to make a mark, and this is just the beginning of what they're going to be doing in the coming weeks and months and years, frankly. Um, I mean, good match. Uh, Terry is absolutely shit on commentary. It sounds like she's near um, crying the whole time. I mean, she just sounded very, like, exacerbated the whole time, so who knows? Um, your what are, what are your thoughts here on Edge and Christian versus the New Brood? Well, I mean, who doesn't love the tit? I mean, come on. The greatest tag team tournament of all time. Forget your Dusty Rhodes tag classics. Forget your World Tag Leagues. This is where it was a... The fact that this was not an annual tournament, the fact that this is not still going today, I mean, it's a big... It's one of the true tragedies in the history of pro wrestling. Amen to that. <laughs> what I thought was, like, really stupid was... And they even mentioned it on commentary and then they just move on. Gangrel is accompanying the the Hardys to the ring, and for their first match of a tournament, where if the Hardys win, they will basically be replacing Gangrel with Terry Reynolds. Like, like. Well, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, like, yeah, but what is Gangrel doing, going with them to the ring when he knows, basically, like, if he's with them, he would want them to win a match, but then he knows if they win, he's getting kicked to the curb. Like, um, where he's drinking in that cup, he's really, he's not thinking straight here. Maybe, maybe, maybe at this point, Gangrel is just like, oh well, if we, if the the guys win this, then, you know, we can add her to the brood and turn her into a creature of the night and stuff. So like, I don't know, anything's possible. You know, but like, I remember when I saw like, in the description, like Edge and Christian be the Hardy in the first match of the of the tit, as it'll now be known. Uh, I was very excited because we've seen them do like pop up here and there. And, like, it's the case of, like, uh, yeah, it was okay, but, like, now we know where there's a lean to, and this is really going to be where both teams really start to excel, and they really get to show what they can do, and I'm very excited to see what's to come. The collective, uh, like, all the women in the arena, like, they're, like their panties just sort of hit the floor when like Jeff, Jeff Hardy and edge hit the ring at the same time. I'm not sure if there are any survivors to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Um, what, what was weird for me is seeing edge and Christians to faces basically. And the Hardys really being the heels given that they were with gang grill. That's something yeah. we, don't, we wouldn't usually see with these two guys more often than not. When you think these two together, you think it's the other way around with the edge and Christian being the heels and the Hardys being the faces. Yeah, and I, I think that the like they've uh, Edge and Christian have sort of already proven themselves, and they're able to uh, sort of do a little bit more uh, because the uh, the 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 um, Hardys here haven't really been given much of a chance. So I guess they just sort of 
got thrown in with um, with Gangrel here because you know they just got through their whole little relationship with um, the good do- uh, the good doctor, um, <laughs> and um, yeah. So I mean, it's interesting to see like all of this like so early on, like what they're because like you you can see it here, like they're it's a little sloppy a little bit uh, a little bit like they're still trying to figure each other out but there is definitely something there and i'm and you know with the benefit of hindsight thankfully we know that they let this continue and they let these guys just make magic um mm-hmm. and this is really like you said i believe you said it on the unforgiven pay-per-view review where you said like this is really like the beginning of the next era of uh tag team wrestling in wwe wwf yeah. And this is like the genesis of that. And it's really interesting to see it in context again. And uh, with, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and everything, being able to see this again and seeing that gate first finally open, you know? Yeah. Cause like, I think the part of the reason that the outlaws put, got put together, not only due to the fact that the guys are better together than on their own, like it's kind of a case of like, it's the fact these guys are good, but they haven't really reached that level yet. So until they reach them, that's probably why like the guys like the outlaws are, are coming in. And then, like you said, like then we're very soon we're going to be taking to like, a new level of tag wrestling, like with these guys and like some of the other teams we've got right here that we don't really need there was anymore. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, then I, I as I, as I remember, the the outlaws seem to move on to other things, and it's just they slowly get a little phased out. So it's interesting, like I said, to see this transition as it's happening. It's interesting to see any transition really because we're not really used to that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is Terry Taylor with the bulldog. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I never really notice him even when he's on <laughs> screen. So like, it's hard to remember what he looks like. So, I, I mean, that's not really a dig. It's just, I'm being honest. I just, I mean, he sort of fades into the background. Um, for me at least, uh, bulldog. Thanks Vince for the opportunity to wrestle for the WWF title. Uh, tells Hunter he's going to beat him and take his title uh, and tells Rock to stay out of his way or he's going to beat him up, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, man, I mean, this promo was really nothing. And the Bulldog was just sort of winded throughout. And it's just sort of sad to see this happen. I mean, I'm not even like I was never really that big of a British Bulldog fan just because I don't know, maybe just wasn't my thing or whatever. And I, I was always impressed with him and whatnot. But this little mini run that he has here is just. It's just sort of sad. Yeah, I mean, I know I take the fifth by doing that impression of him, even though, like, it's not even how I don't think it's even how he talks. But, like, it's probably, it's because, like, by this point, he's pretty much a shell of what he was before. It's basically like a parody of himself. Like, he's coming out in jeans because we saw him trying to come out in his old gear at Unforgiven. It was not working. No, oh, yeah, no, it, it was horrendous. I mean, he is just allegedly juiced to shit. Like he is just bursting at the fucking seams here. It is <laughs> ugh, oof. Um, mankind uh, goes back and you know tells the Rock that um, that Val has Mister Rocco and he promises to get it back and he runs out of the room promising he has work to do. Austin is speaking to Shane McMahon during the break. You don't really hear what they're saying, but it does seem kind of heated as I'm assuming all conversations with Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1999 were. Um, and then we go back to the ring for a WWF European Championship match. D'Lo Brown, the champion, defending against the Big Show. Um, show gets a jobber entrance, which, bully for him. Um, <laughs> Draws and Albert are on commentary somehow. I don't know how that happened. I guess while Shane was getting chewed out by Austin. I'm not sure. 
Um, they say, and here's more of that lingo. They say on commentary, the bookers in the back don't want us out here. Um, they don't want us out here, but we came out here anyway. Um, Jerry Lawler responds with something along the lines of, um, you know, I don't, I mean, I heard them, but I, I just don't know if we should be speaking to them. If the, the bookers in the back don't want it, want you guys out here, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's interesting that they're using that sort of lingo still. I mean, but we are at the very end of the Russo sort of period. So I'm sure that he fought for all of that kind of stuff to keep happening. Um, yeah. Albert, Albert leaps into a, oh, uh, this match, uh, does get this, uh, a DQ as well because, um, yeah, of course gets, it does. Yeah, because of course it does. D'Lo gets kicked out of the ring for reasons by the Big Show, and Albert just leaps into a choke slam uh, or a choke from Big Show. Uh, show power bombs Albert, which admittedly looked pretty cool. Um, draws jumps D'Lo. Mark Henry runs out to save D'Lo, who leaves, and then Mark Henry grabs the microphone. Oh, and he begins to talk about addiction. And here in 2019, especially here in the United States of America, and I'm sure and uh, where you are in the UK, like there is an addiction problem sweeping the land. But in 1999, there was one affliction that pained sexual chocolate more than anything. It was his sexual addiction. And he comes out and he, he cries like a, like, like, a, like, a, like a lost child. He says, I'm a sex addict. He says he lost his fiance thousands of dollars flying people in for sex. I mean, I'm sure most towns across the world have women that would probably want to sleep with Mark Henry, but he flew certain women in um, and he lost his best friend. Uh, he, he cries about that. He, that he thinks about sex at breakfast, at dinner, at lunch. He can't go to the gym and no one cares. Nobody in this audience absolutely gives a half of a flying fuck about Mark Henry's sex addiction because in 1999, if you told somebody you were a sex addict, you'd get a high five. <laughs> um, and then he says that he's going to need professional help and leaves the ring. So lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. Give it your best shot. <laughs> First off. The European tale, I made a note, it's basically the TV tale at this point because we had Mark Henry v. Xbox on like the go home SmackDown. We had the match on Forgiven. We had D'Lo defending against Blackman, and then we had Big Show who doesn't even get an entrance, even, but he gets a European title shot. Like DQs and European title shots are the most common things throughout this show. It seems like the past couple of weeks. Hey, uh, Albert and Draw. You thought Terry Runs was bad on commentary. Good lord, Albert and Phil creep pervert voice turns to draws and says i love it i loved it when you puked on him on monday oh yeah he was real weird on commentary wasn't he you know he's just like he's in that weird act like jared's i don't know what accent they're going for with albert but he just he just sounded like a pervert that would just call you in the middle of the night <laughs> just one of those things where it's just like you can only hear him breathing just yeah hey you know like one of those types of things yeah and then, like you said, like it gets thrown out because, of course, it does. And then Mark Henry, like, for, I'll give Mark Henry props for one thing. He is a hell of an actor. The way he, he, way he just was able just to cry, like, on command, like, that. I mean, it was nowhere near the levels of acting in his fake retirement speech in 2013, but it was it was a good effort. 
And then we got we got some real mixed messages here because he gives this whole Harvard speech. He's going to go get professional help. The commentators are supporting him. He says, like, addiction is no laughing matter. And as soon as he finishes his promo, first thing we hear is, it's sexual failure. <laughs> like, you're sending us mixed messages here. Also, Mark, if you want to stop thinking about sex during breakfast, stop having bananas and melons as your breakfast every morning. Try something. Have some toast, man, and you'll feel better. Because no one can think about sex while eating toast. I think we're, I mean, unless there's butter, maybe we're going down the wrong road here. Test and Steph are shown looking through bridal magazines for all of 30 seconds. Can I just say, Mark, the solution, have cornflakes, because apparently the man who invented cornflakes is cereal, because the cornflakes are some of the most bland cereal you can have. It's just, apparently he invented it because he was trying to make sure people didn't think of impure thoughts. And trust me, when you're having a bowl of cornflakes, the last thing you think about is sex. That's yeah, what you... yeah. Back in the back, he was uh, he was in like a mental institution for a little while. Him and the guy who created Post Kellogg and Post, <laughs> um, the the guy John Kellogg. I just heard this recently on a show. Um, but Kellogg was like in a mental institution with this other guy who created Post, and he created cornflakes because uh, he wanted to cut down on men masturbating yeah like what i'm thinking of whenever i'm you know one conflict says i clearly run out of the good cereal i'm forced to eat cornflakes yeah pretty much <laughs> now i do enjoy like the more like regular cereals i do enjoy a good raisin bran or a honey bunches of oats because i'm an old man but even <laughs> i think co- uh, even i think cornflakes is just like you got to do something to it you got it <laughs> yeah. um Next up, uh, and like I said, uh, Test and Stephanie are looking through bridal magazines like for like 45 seconds. Really doesn't fucking matter all over again. Because the date is coming up, the nuptials are impending, and I'm sure nothing bad is going to come of that. Um, triple threat elimination tag match. Canon X-Pac versus the Dudley Boys versus the Acolytes. Uh, Bubba comes out in a rock and sock jacket. Um, Stevie Richards is in a dude love outfit um, and shows mankind on the screen in the back that Bubba is wearing one of those jackets. Uh, Kyoto gets shoved by Farouk uh, and he DQs the acolytes, gets them the fuck out of his goddamn ring. Because they're not taking any goddamn shit. They just aren't. Um, yeah. I mean, they didn't mean, I mean, the ring announcer didn't mention that was a, that it was a elimination match. I mean, King like offhandly mentioned it when the acolytes are coming in because it's Basically, he rushes out of his mouth because he realizes that they didn't mention it's elimination. But like, you got to think if you're in the live crowd, you're thinking like, okay, the acolytes are randomly leaving this match. Yeah, I mean, mention it was elimination. Yeah, uh, King, uh, King says it to Cole. He's like, well, did you mention that it's an elimination match? And Cole's like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. And like, I don't know. They're, they they <laughs> were really scrambling here at some points. Um, X Pac and Kane get the win, um, but then the acolytes come out and jump them. Um, you know, shenanigans heavy everywhere, just DQs, people getting thrown out, people getting their ass kicked. Uh, what did you make of this triple threat elimination tag team match? Yeah, it was, it was a decent enough match. I'm glad to see Kane and Kane next with that Taylor. I would not have thought this match was even something that ever happened. Like these three, like in a match together, the Dudleys, the Acolytes, and Kane and Xbox. Like, I can imagine like two of these teams would have, but I'd never imagine all three of them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I'm, I just can't wait for the Acolytes to be the APA. Yeah. Like, it's, they're so know, dull. I don't even know what they're supposed to be. Like, the symbols. I just, like, I remember Bruce Pritchard always, when they always asked about it, like, he just takes a piss of it. He's like, oh, God, I'm just paying some symbols on your chest. Where are they? I don't know. He did He did one. I just recently listened to their Unforgiven 99 review over on Something to Wrestle With, and um, the uh, he said, well, does anybody... You know, Conrad asked him, does anybody, did they ever like go over what they were going to write? And he goes, hell no. I'm sure, I'm sure Bradshaw was just like, well, what are you going to, what are you going to paint today? And Farouk's just like, I don't know, some fucking circles or something. He's like, all right, whatever. And they fucking would just walk out, which I'm sure is exactly the way that that happened. Um, I mean, I'm glad to see, I mean, Kane picked up the line, which I'm always happy to see. But other than that, I'm not much really to say. Yeah, n- not really much to say. I mean, this is just sort of like I mean, this is this wasn't even part of the Terry Reynolds Invitational Tournament. Like the yeah. all these tag teams are perfectly fine. Yeah, no, I mean Kane and Xbox were kind of screwed out of a tag title shot all in row, so like, there was not even a number one contender aspect to this or anything. Yeah, I mean, like this was just sort of a, and to to add on the elimination aspect of it i i don't know i mean i guess they still want to get over that you know the refs rule the roost here now that they're back from their strike uh be interesting to see how long they keep that up um yeah. my wager is not very long um during the break uh mankind mankind confronts bubba about the jacket he tells mankind that he'll have to take it from him by force um and then jeff jarrett comes out with uh, housekeeping supplies uh, he says he'll beat China with every tool known to woman, <laughs> which admittedly made me laugh pretty hard. Um, I'm going to just say it. I love this Jeff Jarrett. I think it's really it's I mean, because we've discussed it before that if you're going to go for it, you might as well go for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just like how good he is at this role or like that part of him really believes it. But he is just into this you know yeah i the whole thing with china at the moment is i'm still like not 100 percent behind her in this feud because like like even though when she got screwed uh unforgiven she still came out with triple h to open raw so she's still associated with a big heel in the company and then she's having to be forced out of, not to be at ringside and she's barely even on smackdown so like it's really hard to i'm still not like I really want to see that match at No Mercy, but I'm still not 100% sold like on China, even though like Jeff Jarrett's doing everything he can to make him just make him like unlikable. Oh yeah, I mean he's really shooting for the fences here. Um, Jeff then singles out stars of the USA pro- or the UPN program Shasta McNasty, which if any of you truly remember Shasta McNasty, tweeted us, I'm going to call you a liar. Um. <laughs> And he challenges uh, Cindy Margolis and uh, Heather Kozer to a uh, to fight him in a handicap match, which, all right, whatever. Um, Deborah comes out with Mula almost immediately. Uh, Mula May and all of the women Double J has put in the fig- put in the figure four. Uh, China jumps Double J, then uh, so do all the women uh, at ringside. Mula uh, Mula then goes over to King and shoves his tits. <laughs> uh, in his face, and he's like totally losing his shit. Like he's got his they like his headset is stuck on him, so you can hear him just going like, ah, ah, I don't know what the fuck. Oh my god! Like freaking out, and then eventually he gets them off, and he is just like, 
like losing his mind. Um, so give, please give us your thoughts here on <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and his promo that devolves into utter chaos. First off, let me talk about these television stars and big air quotes in the front row. First of all, I don't believe Chastity McNasty is a real program. If ever there was a title for a soft 90s softcore porn film, it was that. Like This is sound like something Val Venus would produce backstage. I mean, come on. Chastity McNasty. I mean, I know for a fact that it was a real show. but I don't I, believe you. <laughs> I swear to God, and because I remember watching SmackDown at the time and hearing about it, and I'm pretty sure... That I've watched maybe an episode, but even if you if you had a gun to my head, um, and a gun to like, like uh, like my loved one's head, and you were like, "Listen, we're gonna shoot somebody unless you can like tell us something about Chasta McNasty," I'd pull the trigger for you because I could not possibly in a million years tell you what that show was about. Also, Sam Margulis does not learn from her mistakes. Like, does she not remember what happened last time she went to SmackDown? Well, even if she didn't remember. Jeff Jeff very blatantly reminded her that the last time she was there, she got her ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, and what I love about the thing, I love the idea of like all the women coming out that Jeff like putting figure force to finally give him these comeuppance, and that even when there's like ten women on stage, Jeff still feels confident that he can fend all of them off. Even when Miss Kitty's basically telling him like, "Shut up, shut up," and it would have been it did seem like a good way to give him these comeuppance. Although we've still got like three weeks done to no mercy, so. Like he's still gonna be beating up women till then, I assume. And I feel I have a feeling like maybe either somebody finally told me what King's been saying on commentary or or Parliament just loves to believe that May didn't run us by anyone just ran at Jerry Lord to see what would happen. And dude, the fucking bump May takes when like she gets hit <laughs> like Jesus Christ I mean, what is she like a hundred and forty nine years old here? Like she just, I mean, she, I, I don't even know, man. I mean, at least they were having fun. Um, yeah, this was a fun segment, though, to be fair. No, it was. It was definitely a fun segment. And, like, you know, the women came out and toppled the patriarchy and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, Shasta, if you can prove to me that Shasta McNasty is a, a real show, I mean, that, that's got to be a prediction punishment at some point. Watching Sha- I don't know if you can even find Shasta McNasty anywhere. So, you, so you're saying there's no proof? Uh, hold on one fucking second because I will get you the fucking proof you're looking for. Thankfully, we have he there. Oh my god, it's even worse than I remember it. Oh my good god. All right, hold on. I know this makes terrible radio, but I'm going to show you that. This, and it, they rebranded it as Shasta later on. Uh, hold on. Here you go. Here's the Wikipedia page for Shasta McNasty. Later retitled Shasta. We're gonna take we're gonna take a brief set a brief uh, intermission here to just let you guys know that Shasta McNasty is an American sitcom that aired on UPN during 1999 through 2000 season. The show was created by Jeff Astin and produced by Astin and Neil M. Morowitz. The show starred Carmine G. Of G. I mean, he doesn't. It doesn't matter anyway. Jake Busey, Dale. Gold Baldo and Jolie Jenkins. Although Shasta McNasty pre- premiered with less than favorable reviews from critics, no fucking shit. The program was nominated for a People's Choice Award for Best New Comedy. Now, focuses on three friends who are part of the rap rock band Shasta McNasty, signing to Da Funk Records. I could sit here all day. I'm going. Oh. I think I. I think I may watch this. I'm sorry. Guest stars 
first name, Vern Troyer. He was, I mean, granted he wasn't, but he was big in the 90s. People loved him. Gary fucking Busey as well. I mean, I think yeah, Jake is his son, I think, so. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus. This is crazy. There are 22 episodes about this rap rock band, Shasta McNasty. Like 21. The 21 episodes too many. No, 22, because the second, the the final episode is like a parody of Behind the Band or a Beyond the Music. Yeah, no, I'm saying that like it got 20. Someone saw the first episode and thought we need 21 more episodes of this thing. Yeah, I think I don't even think all of them aired. They made them, but I don't think all of them aired. Good all Lord. right. All right. This is definitely going to be a punishment later on somewhere is to watch like the first couple of episodes of Shasta McNasty. That's fucking fantastic. Um. But- I mean, let's see how Nathan fares with this one because he he seemed to love Total Divas. I mean, I I, mean, wa- I listened to that earlier on. I mean, I can't blame him. Total Divas <laughs> is kind of great after how bad it is. It might it might indeed be the bomb dot com, um, but definitely go back in our archives and check out that air quotes punishment podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a punishment for Carl. I mean, that's fun to listen to. Yeah, he didn't seem to enjoy it very much at all. He was very, he was very checked out. Yeah, I mean, in, uh. I mean, Nathan is in all seriousness very concerned about Eve Marie lying to her fiance and the issues, ongoing issues between the Bella twins, and is wants to talk about it in all seriousness. And Carl couldn't give two shits. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 pretty great. Um, so then we go back and the uh, the infamous Terry Taylor is with I couldn't fucking remember his fucking name for the life of me, but he's with the security guard. Um, Tim Jim Dobson. There we go. Um, and while they're talking about uh, the incident that occurred with uh, Steve Blackman at the Unforgiven pay-per-view, Blackman drops the fucking set on him and stomps his fucking face in with this, like, chain-link fence over his head. Um, I mean, Blackman just didn't seem even halfway interested i'm not sure his face has those muscles because i'm pretty sure the, the muscles have migrated elsewhere to like his feet or his arms um because he is a very jacked individual um but i mean jesus like they're just really stretching out far to give blackman something to do huh yeah i mean i mean carl and nathan talked extensively about how they think uh that they think Johnson is basically a robot. Wherever he was manufactured is clearly the same place they built Steve Blackman. Because this man has no emotion. And what I want to know is, for a head of security, this man is very unobservant because he's standing facing the direction where Blackman comes from. And Blackman stands a few feet behind Terry Taylor to move this fence. How did Dobson not see him? It's not as if he got the jump on him. Like, he's standing a few feet in front of you. Terry Taylor's not that tall. You should be able to see this man. You're a security... You and who does security in thousand seater arenas yeah like really like i mean your security your your brain should be trained to be able to spot intruders i don't know but steve blackman's a ninja dude like he's got a black he's got several black belts and, he, and he's a bounty hunter now apparently uh no apparently they just made a um they made like a pilot and it like never actually aired can but, you blame them i mean no oh yes shasta mcnasty's on youtube oh good lord um I just had to know. I just had to know. Um, oh, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I failed to mention that uh, Mankind ran back into the locker room to tell The Rock about his jacket that is now missing just to continue to piss him off. 
Um, and he tells him he's going to head to the ring and get it back. And he says he has work to do and runs out of the ring, uh, runs out of the room. Um, <laughs> Mankind uh, gets to the ring, calls out Bubba. Um, they wrestle briefly. Um, Mankind gets the jacket uh, after Stevie, Stephen Richards comes in and delivers a beautiful Stevie kick. One of my favorite super kicks in the business. I mean, Stevie Richards is great. Um, he calls Val in to get Mr. Rocco back. And Val Venus turns heel and grabs Mankind by the balls. The Dudleys ruin the jacket. I mean, Bubba just tears it to shreds. And uh, I mean, Val just sort of like punches and holds his hand uh, with Rocco over his hand um, and just sort of like grips down on his balls and doesn't really do anything else. Like doesn't really like hit mankind at all. Um, so I'm assuming more will come of this in the coming weeks. But uh, what did you make of this uh, now show long uh, storyline here coming to an end for, th- for at least the episode uh, with mankind in Valvinus? Sorry, I was I was looking up while you were talking. I was looking up on YouTube. I had to see for myself: is this an actual thing? Yes, I can confirm. It. Yes, yes, I man, it is an actual thing. Sadly, Jimmy wasn't lying. No, no, no. I'm very. I never fuck around when it comes to defunct American sitcoms. I, I'm just looking at the quality of this thing. Like I've made crappy like college student films that have better quality than this. 1999. I know, but on on UPN. But back to Val Venus grabbing Mick Foley's balls for what felt like an eternity. Yeah, like, I just felt bad for Mick. Like, the Dudleys come in, they, they rip up the jacket, and then C.B. Richard is sadly no help to to Mick. And then, like, I don't know what to say. I mean, Val Venus is a new repo man, apparently, because he stole Blackman's weapons, he's stealing the Rocco this week. He's just taking what he wants, and he's delivering it back to the people who pay him the money that deserve it. He never, never is picturing Valvinus making one of his latest movie being a Repo Man porn parody. Oh, Jesus. I thought uh, with that image. Uh, you, we're, we're, this episode is about to be longer than this episode of SmackDown. Um, the Rock comes out. Um, he is literally the most over thing in Virginia, if not the world at the moment. The people are... My television was shaking because the, the fans were so loud. Um, and he says, uh, British bulldog, you know, in your country, you have a song called God save the queen. Well, here on the rock show, we have a song called God save my Rudy poo candy ass. Like anything just to get the, the fucking, like, I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Like anything just to get the slogans in there, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you never know where he's going, but he works it in somehow, and the crowd are always 100% behind it. In in that promo from earlier, towards the beginning of the show, like you could almost uh, see it happening as he was talking, because he did slip up once or twice, but you could almost see the wheels turning in his head um, when he was doing the promo. And it's just very interesting to see that little difference, because when he's out in front of the people, he is he, he's never stopping and thinking about anything he's just going with it and it always makes sense in the way that the rock makes sense does that make sense <laughs> in a way yeah and uh so that brings us directly to and you guessed it our main event of the evening the wwf world title match british bulldog versus the champion triple h special guest referee the rock 
don't know why I'm talking like this. Uh, <laughs> Rock attacks Bulldog before Triple H can even come out. And then Triple H does like half his entrance. Like he comes out, pours the water, takes his time, and then runs down the ringside. Um, you can't go in a in your WF title match with dry hair. You have, I mean, wet hair is a secret to Triple H's success. I mean, obviously. Obviously, <laughs> it worked out so well for him. Um, uh, the Rock refuses to count uh, for Triple I mean, this is all shenanigans, so I just sort of took bullet points here. Um, he jumps on commentary while he's the referee at one point, which I thought was glorious. Um, mm-hmm. Having rewatched m- parts of this match again this morning, um, he just is like effortless, just doing what he wants. Michael Cole says, like, aren't you supposed to be the referee? And he's just like, dude, go fuck yourself. I'm the rock. <laughs> I do what I want. Like, I mean, that's essentially it. Minus the, the F-bomb. He just says, dude, like, I'll kick your ass. He goes, I'll show you how, like, uh, like how, how I can call it right down the middle when I'm shoving my boot up your ass. Um, uh, he gives Triple H uh, a round of applause for the pedigree, which is <laughs> my favorite. I don't care how cool the, the, the people's elbow is here later on, but him, instead of going to for the count, he just stops and applauds Triple H for giving a good pedigree. And like, it was my everything. Um, I mean, and it's always, it's always nice to pay your co-worker a compliment and they'll help them, help them make their day a little brighter. I know that, like, honestly, like, it's it's silly to say this, but The Rock is the MVP of this episode. He is just on fucking fire. He gives Triple H a rock bottom and never loses his sunglasses. Mm-hmm. What? I know, like, like, The Rock always says it's his show, obviously because it was his catchphrase that spawned the title of the show, but... This more than any other episode we've watched so far. This truly was the rock show. I mean, it really was. It was in danger of becoming the Triple H show over the last few weeks. But like, my God, he was like really making up for lost time here. Um, Bulldog, of course, looks really rough uh, when he comes out. I mentioned that earlier. He just looks, I mean, like he's ripping at the seams. Um, rock, uh, he does after the the rock bottom. Um, Rock has a microphone in his hand after jumping back on commentary and comes in and counts one, two, and it doesn't matter if he counts the three. Um, like this is, I, I just can't say how much I love this the most. Like this is everything. Um, and then of course the iconic sliding on his feet, people's elbow to the bulldog and leaves with the WWF title before we get to whatever happens here. Let's just talk about, the match um that happened here scott please tell the people what you thought about all of this stuff that happened within the arena i mean how could you not love this i mean right as soon as bulldog came and raw asking about title shots i was saying like please let this phantom be the one with the microphone and he does the count because that's just one of my favorite rock moments ever when and the look on bulldog's face when the Rock does it, what does it? It doesn't matter. The builder just looks at him with a the most like, "Are you fucking serious?" look on his face, and like, like the Rock is the MVP of this match, and he wasn't even a competitor. Like, I think he knew that because it was two heels, and they've been kind of in cahoots the last week or so. So like, it's hard to like if they just had a regular match. Like, who would have really cared? And like you said, that people's elbow, the way he just slid on his shoes. And hit the field though, and then Triple H. I love the moment where he's trying to figure. He doesn't realize the rocks 
buggered off with his title and just put, beats up the poor timekeeper for telling him where it is. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that poor timekeeper, he's just trying to deliver the message and Triple H rails off on him. Um, Bulldog and Triple H run after The Rock um, in succession to, uh, to chase him to the back. Triple H is beating people up looking for the title and when he comes into sort of like a an opening in the hallway rock blindsides him with the title belt um and bulldog attacks the rock from behind they fight off uh out of that part of the hallway and like through a door they're beating the hell out of each other triple h finds that he has the belt next to him he takes it goes to his locker room knocks on the door says uh china it's triple h please let me in let me in, let me in. He knocks on the door, and who opens it up? None other than Stone Cold Steve Austin with the two birds salute into his face. Beats the holy hell out of him, and we go off the air. That was this episode of SmackDown. Um, This whole section, this whole segment that happened in the back, like, just a continuation of greatness, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I know we're trying to build to no mercy and all that. But I really couldn't have cared less when Austin appeared. Because, like, it's a case of The Rock's been doing a lot of the best work. So, as you're having Mankind, they not the best work. And then just, we have to close on Austin somehow. We have to, it's a case of we have to work Austin in somehow. And, like, like The Rock was real MVP of this show. Oh, 110%. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm going to give this a thumbs up. This this is the thumbs up episode. Um, what is your rating here? Oh, for, for that main event alone, it, it's it's a thumbs up all the way. Absolutely. You can't you can't do anything else uh, but give this episode. I mean, The Rock is just like beyond the best thing on this show. Um, and I'm torn between doing the right thing for a guy who was underappreciated and playing his theme at the end of this show. Or just putting the rocks theme at the end. Do we do Big Show or The Rock here? Oh, right. It's a tough decision. I know we've done The Rock before, but like I'm pretty sure the Big Show will have. There's a couple of moments towards the end of '99 where we can easily play Big Show's theme. So I think for just those those two highlights in the main event, we do The Rocks. I think. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, uh, it seems to be getting closer to checkout time. So, uh, Scott, why don't you go ahead and give us your plugs? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1996. You can find my other podcast, uh, Scott and Paul's Valent Podcast, at SB Rambling on Twitter. Uh, our latest episode just went up today, or yesterday, probably, when you're listening to this, uh, where we talk a lot about the whole the news of NXT going to the USA Network, uh, The Fiend's latest goings on. And we talk about Frasier, you know, the show that went in the first round of Sitcom Showdown, never forget. And <laughs> you can catch me on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat. I was a last-minute replacement on, a, on the latest episodes where we do one of the most debated topics, I think, in wrestling, the whole the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, where we each bring our own male and female Mount Rushmore, and we try and debate the definitive four male and four female for a Mount Rushmore. Wow. Uh, that sounds like it's going to be an epic sort of conversation. Yeah, it went in some directions we, we weren't planning on going. Like, the first name on our Mount Rushmore, when first said, like, you think, really? And then when the more we talked about it, we realized, like, yeah, how can he not go on there? Wow, like, all right. I, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. You want to sort of dangle that hook out there with the bait on it. Um, 
Well, as for me, uh, you can find me at Mr. Riot on Twitter. That's M-R-R-I-0-T. Uh, find me uh, constantly just making uh, and pestering Netflix uh, at Netflix is a joke to put Eddie Pence's comedy special, the, end, the unspecial comedy special, onto Netflix. It's already been shot. Uh, this guy's a really funny comedian. He works on a show called The Ralph Report. Really funny guy. Definitely deserves to have his special air somewhere. Um, so if you guys... Check this out. Please go check out the Ralph Report. Uh, they release a free episode every Monday. Check out Mr. Eddie Pence and some of his clips on YouTube. Um, and you can also talk to me about wrestling on there because, you know, wrestling sort of one of my things. Uh, also, <laughs> go back into the archives and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rogue underscore Opinion. For Scott McCloud, I'm Jimmy Baxter. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Rogue Retro SmackDown Hotel Experience Episode <laughs> Four: The New Hope. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you again sometime soon. Who is Shasta McNasty? <laughs> They're the guys your mother warned you about. You guys are pathetic. Cindy Margolis guest stars. Damn! Oh my! Along with a very special blowfish. Does she have a sister? <laughs> Shasta McNasty is coming at you in September on UPN. If you smell what The Rock is cooking.